Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsey and we're delving into the final pod of the 2018 NRL season team previews for Supercoach. And I've got Billy on the line here again to finish it off. How are you going, Billy? Yeah, good, boss. Happy to see you in with it, but uh, still happy to chat Supercoach. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good to get through these these few here, except for the first ones that we're going to talk about. And we'll get stuck straight into them because I want to get rid of them pretty quickly because the Gold Coast Titans this year, I don't think they've got too much to offer whatsoever. Um, they aren't looking too flash for the season. I reckon they'll f- probably finish bottom three or four for sure. So just real quickly, we'll go through the gains and the losses. Gains-wise, Jai Arrow from the Broncos, who's actually been a pretty popular buy, has come on over. Brendan Elliott came over from the Knights mid-season. He looks like he might start. Mick Gordon from the Roosters, really, really good buy, actually. Got him pretty cheap, too, so he should be kicker and also fullback. Uh, other than that, Latu from the Penrith Panthers came over and has been getting a little bit of attention, along with Brenton Lawrence, Mitch Rain, and Jack Stockwell came over, and Brenko Lee came over mid-season. And he could be a bit of a smoky when he um, loses a bit of money. He's not expensive as well. So losses-wise, Jared Hayne was the big one. Obviously, pretty tumultuous Titans career. I think the Titans and him are both pretty happy it's over. Chris McQueen uh, went over to the West Tigers. Ignatius Parsi over to the Warriors. Fulu over to the Warriors. Tyrone Roberts' career in Australia is probably over. And other than that, we had a couple of guys retire in Daniel Vito and William Zillman. So not anything to get real excited about. Um, probably the first one that I want to talk about, though, Billy, is going to be a guy who uh, fell off quite a bit last year, but is probably their best player in Ryan James. So it, the year before last, he had a great year, and he's not going to be available as a dual player. Um, so that might actually help him because being a front row forward, there's not too many stocks in there. For me, he's definitely the guy that I'd be looking at out of that pack. I don't think I'd even bother looking at anybody else. Before we get into him, I'll just quickly mention the draw up front for all of these guys. So the Raiders are the first game, and that is on the Gold Coast, and they basically alternate home away, home away, home away for a while. We've got Canberra at home, the Warriors away, Dragons at home, and Broncos away to start off the year. And then the next month after that, it's Manly at home, Penrith and the Cowboys away and then the Sharks at home. So I don't think they've got a great draw, to be honest. Um, I don't think many draws are going to help the Gold Coast Titans anyway, but it just doesn't work out too well for them with the draw. I don't think it's I think it's pretty largely irrelevant for them. So Ryan James, quick stat check, averaged 60 points in 2017. Some guys might say, oh, that's not too bad, it's all right. Except the year before, he averaged a career-high 73 points and was a player that everyone was hoping he was going to develop into for Supercoach. So a really, really big drop-off. And what's even more concerning is in 2016, his 73 points came from 59 minutes a game. Uh, Whereas in 2017, his 60 points came from 63 minutes a game. So he increased his minutes by four minutes a game and decreased his points by 13 minutes a game. A lot of that's going to largely be due to try scoring. This year, the Titans have said that they want to put James on an edge. I'm not sure whether he'll stay on the edge and then move to the middle, or what's the story there. 530,000 
far too rich for my blood. Um, I'm not going to be going near him, but I did have a look at him. Billy, have you checked him out or thought about having him in your side? No, not really. Um, I think I've chatted to you and a couple of the guys um, just briefly about him, but ever since the, the move to the edge, it's pretty much a no-go zone. The only guys you'd be interested in would be the, the, cheap, the cheaper type blokes that are actually going to start at 13 or in the front row with all the, with all the injuries or suspensions, whatever you call it. I think James is a, is a type of guy who you could probably circle back to after a few rounds. A watch to see how many, many minutes he's playing on the edge, but even if he is playing 80, he's probably not really much value. He's probably the type of guy that you want to watch, and then if an injury happens again and he moves into the front row rotation, might be one of those sneaky pickups that you look at around sort of 400, 150 grand if he drops that far. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's pretty good advice, maybe later on down the track. Particularly, I think the thing that helps him most is the fact that the front row forward stocks, as we've spoken about, with the dual positions being heavily reduced, there isn't a huge amount of great front row forward options. So he might come into his own a bit later as a buy. Um, round one, definitely steer clear. Um, I've really got no idea what to expect. If I were to guess, um, gun to the head, I think that he might step up and he, he he'll average above what he did last year at some point. But yeah, they've also got a lot of forwards that have come into that rotation now, so it's a bit messy. And people think that the Titans are pretty weak, which they are, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a lot of forwards they need to give minutes to. So, I mean, they've got quite a few guys that have come in into the pack, so maybe we'll move on and we'll just talk about those guys quickly because they've been of interest. So a couple of mid-range cash cow potential guys, Latu and also Jai Arrow, who have both come into the pack. I initially had Jai Arrow for probably two months, um, but then when Cardi came over and um, Brennan was saying that Cardi's probably going to start at lock, I thought they really hurt. Arrow's stock because he was probably going to be the starting lock and now that Cardi's starting lock probably it's going to really hurt him if um Cardi ends up on an edge then maybe I'll have to revisit Arrow the thing for everyone to be careful of is Wallace is suspended the first couple of rounds so it might look okay for a couple of weeks but when Wallace comes back in things are going to get real messy so Jai Arrow obviously hasn't played too many first grade games he's got 10 and 10 the last two years while the Broncos were blooding him at 25 and 29 minutes a game. His PPM, though, has pretty much been right around that 1.2 mark. So he's been a really good worker, and that's what he's known for. Um, so at 308,000, if he gets a minute, he can definitely make the cash, but you'd need to be real sure he's getting 60-plus. And he's a guy that could play 80 minutes, but he's just probably not going to get it. So a bit of a risky one. I'm I'm a wait on C on Arrow, Billy. Did you have any, I think you had him in your side as well to start with, didn't you? Yeah, I had him all the way up until the Cardi announcement. Yeah, just too risky, mate. Oh, yeah, minutes-wise, you will put it this way. I don't care what position he starts in. If he starts, I'll, I'll grab him. If he doesn't start, I won't. End, end of story. I think Cardi's kind of killed that 13 dream. And if he starts in the front row, yeah, I'm aware, aware that Wallace is going to come back, but you've um, got Larchie there as well. But you've all seen Supercoach, um scenarios before players that get a, um, a start for one game pending the return of someone else. It always happens. They end up playing two games, then three games, then four games, and then <laughs> then you miss out. So if he ends up starting, if he ends up starting, um, regardless of what position, we pick him up unless the, unless the likes of uh, Parsi and RFM turn up on the edges for 80 minutes. I'd probably grab those two over him at the price because of the uh, guarantee of the 60 to 80 minutes. But 
pending those two failures and him not starting, yeah, I'll probably just leave him. Yeah, Latu's probably in exactly the same boat too. He's um he's a guy that's going to average probably around one ppm, um, and he only had um 36 minutes a game in 2017. So he's underpriced if he gets the minutes, and he busted out some good scores when he played 45 and 50 minutes at times. But he's almost exactly the same type of scenario. He's 270,000, and he needs to probably be getting less minutes and arrow to to make coin, but you'd still probably want him to be getting 50. So uh, funny that you mentioned RFM and Parsi, Billy, because um, Latu and Arrow positions in my team that I initially threw them in for, I did a straight swap to Parsi and Fatala Mariner, and I'm much happier with those two guys' potential and pathway to minutes than what I am a Latu and an Arrow. Uh, and I'm actually quite... I'm a little bit surprised that Latu's gotten as much love as he has. He is cheap at 270k, but he's also sort of made a career the last few years now, three years in a row, being more of a big impact forward. The bloke's 115 kilos. He's a big bopper. I don't know whether he can play that 50-minute role plus. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head when you brought up Parsi and RFM. There's better options, I reckon. So I'll be steering clear of both of them, but they're a big watch after round one to see what the rotation looks like and whether either of them get a starting jumper and play big minutes. So let's move on because the Titans aren't that exciting. I'm going to talk about a guy who I think is going to be a bit of an error if people are throwing him in their team. Particularly rookie coaches, I think, are looking at this guy a little bit and they probably shouldn't be, and that's Michael Gordon. Uh, one of my good mates actually um, threw Michael Gordon in at the start of last year and I, I thought he was crazy. And I said, mate, what are you doing? Don't do it. And he went for it anyway. And he ended up doing really well with him. Um, at the start of last year with the Roosters, he went really well. Um, and as a center wing fullback, that was really handy. And I sort of regretted that I didn't grab him at some point when he was a bit cheaper. Having said that, he still ended up only averaging 56 points a game last year. So he did definitely tail off. And at the Gold Coast Titans, I mean, at the Roosters, most of his points were coming from the attack and also the goal kicking duties. At the Titans, like we probably agree, he's not going to get too many attacking stats, and he's priced at five hundred thousand. So, it's a real, it's a real big mistake to be looking at Michael Gordon at all, even in the centre wing. For me, do you see any upside for Gordon at all for starting him for five hundred k, even in centre wing, Billy? Hey, uh, no. The only reason I would pick him up is if it was, you know, last year and you had he uh, Titans played the first and second buy or second and the third buy, and they just happened to be playing. Tigers or a, a, a seriously depleted squad, and the Gold Coast had potential to maybe grab 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 a few points and grab a couple of goals, and he was possibly going to give you 55, 60 points in two games, then get rid of him or leave him as a emergency on your bench. But with um, the buy coverage this year not really being too much of a need to schedule, um, he's pretty much a complete leave. Yeah, and the and the Titans don't play the first buy either, so like the, the Titans really are. The, probably the most super coach irrelevant side along with the Tigers this year. Actually, they're, actually, just the, they're probably actually the most super coach relevant team because you want to schedule all your other seventeen players around them and the Warriors and the Tigers. Probably. <laughs> so, just to put it in context, mate. So, I, I would seriously have a look at your your attacking players over the next over, over the rolling three four weeks all the time and. Maybe try uh, alternate, alternate attacking players towards their right edge. Oh yeah, I think everyone knows that, but but yeah, they're, they're probably more relevant in um, defensive liabilities as opposed to 
uh, attacking weapons unless Ryan James drops in value and then comes back in the front row. That's probably a, a summary of the Titans. Yeah, I think so. And when I say Supercoach irrelevant for me, I'm talking about the players that I'm looking at, but I'm all over anybody playing the Titans or the Warriors for sure. So um, Conrad Hurrell's the only other one I'll briefly mention, and then we're going to move on to the Dragons. Conrad Hurrell's been pretty popular for a number of years now. I understood why in 2014. After that, I really didn't get it, and I didn't understand why so many people were grabbing him. He's perennially unfit, hurt, overweight, everything. And every preseason we see it as well when it's like Coney's on a new diet, he's ripped up, he's wearing a go, everything's great, and it just doesn't happen. So 2017, 53 points a game. And it's funny that guys that bought him were disappointed he's 53 points a game. But the two years prior, he only did 47 and 42 points a game. So it's actually the best that he's done for a few years now. And his games played per year is the other thing that I just I don't get why he's so popular. 2017, he had 16 games, 2016, 12 games, 2015, 12 games. The draw isn't great for them either. It wouldn't surprise me if he starts okay, but then he's just going to burn you. And for 474000 I mean, if I'm taking a pun on a guy, I spoke about BJ Leilua myself, and I know you disagreed with that, Billy, and that's fine. Most people do. But at least BJ is only 414 k or thereabouts. Um, this guy's 475 k just about. Like, it's... It would be crazy to be picking Hurrell for round one. I think he's a he's always going to be a watch in case he goes on a bit of a run. But, yeah, I really haven't been impressed with him the last few years, Billy. Have you had him the last couple of years or anything? Yeah, um, only on Instagram and Twitter, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to be the best way to do it. You're going to get the best value out of that. But not only him in Supercoach, but having him on Instagram and Twitter, that's going to be great. Oh, mate, he's a clown. He's a funny bloke. And, yeah, there's some uh, good, good posts there, him, him and Peachy. But, um, yeah, SC-wise, <laughs> I think I'll steer clear, mate. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there we go. We've wrapped up the Titans pretty quickly because, basically, guys, don't. I wouldn't start with any of them round one. Just move on. Find someone else. All right, so let's move on to the St. George Illawarra Dragons, who I quite like for, for this year. So we'll spend a bit more time on these guys. Their 2018 gains, we've got Mitchell Allgood, Fringe first grader. James Graham's a big one, along with Ben Hunt. So James Graham and Ben Hunt are going to really add a lot to them. Jeremy Lattimore's probably going to be on the bench for some uh, prop forward stocks. And then other than that, uh, largely irrelevant. Had a few decent losses that left. Uh, Josh Dugan being the biggest one. Uh, Havili, their bench hookers over at the Raiders now. Uh, Will Matthews, which was apparently a 17th, 18th man, is gone. Josh McCrone somehow was their starting half for a lot of the year. He's gone over to the Toronto Wolfpack, so that says how good he was and how much he's going to be missed. Tarn Milne, Billy's boyfriend, he is now uh, over at the West Tigers along with Russell Packer and Joel Thompson over to the Manly Seagulls. So they lost a few guys outside of Dugan that are potential solid top 17 options, but no massive ones. Other than that, their draw... I think we're going to probably start off, I think, with um, one of the guys that I I normally have every year, and last year was the first year I went off him, and that's James Graham. Just quickly looking at their draw before we delve into Graham's stats. They start off with the Broncos at home, uh, which you know, I think the Broncos will be decent this year, but Dragons actually have a pretty good rivalry with the, with the Broncos, so those games aren't too bad. Uh, the Sharks away round two, but that's not too far away. Gold Coast away, which is a nice one. And then the Newcastle Knights round up the first month and they're playing them away. Oh, sorry, playing them at home. 
Then the second month of the of the 2018 season, we've got Souths coming up at home, Cronulla coming up at home, Warriors away at Mount Smart, and then the Roosters at home. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. Some of that's pretty good. I don't mind the Dragons draw. I think it's it's not too bad. Even the guys that are tough, like they play the, the Sharks twice in the first eight weeks. Both of the, those are going to be either at home or not too far up the road from Oki Jubilee over at Cronulla. So they have a pretty good rivalry there. So I, I think the draw is decent for them without being great. James Graham will start off with, though. He dropped down to 52 minutes a game last year after doing 62 minutes a game in 2016. Average score, only 52 points a game compared to the 64 points in 2016. 2015, he had 56 points. 2014, he was quite the gun at 65 points in his best super coach season. So I had him for a few years and I didn't last year because of his um, issues and price that he started off with. And I was glad that he didn't, that I didn't because he was all over the place. I think the minutes is going to be the biggest thing for Graham, but he's only priced at 460000 And on top of that, he is a front row forward where we've mentioned that the stocks there are pretty low. So at his price and at a 52 average from last year coming in on 460K, I kind of see the appeal. He's never averaged below one point per minute. His PPM has consistently been 1 to 1.04. So if he could squeeze out 60 minutes, which we know he's capable of, he could definitely get back to the 60, 62 range. So I see the, the value in him a little bit. I had him in my side for about a week, Billy, but then I dropped him out because I just wasn't too sure. He had a lot of concussion and neck issues last year, and the Dragons have a really solid pack, um, particularly the middle forwards with guys like Paul Vaughan and um, JDB as well, who are going to play good minutes too. I just, I'm not sure. So, I mean, is James Graham a guy that you've considered starting in your front row forward spot, Billy? How do you feel about him? Not even at that price. Not interested. A couple of reasons. Uh, a injury prone he's had a lot of um injury affected games and i don't want that type of player in my team there's no guarantee he's going to get back to 60 minutes um if you look at all the dragons rotations over the last few years not many props get over 50 55 minutes i think there was one that might have had 55 minutes at the most and he needs minimum 60 if he, if he gets a 50, if he gets a 55 minute game he's going to go up to a 55 56 57 58 average and he's not too far off that he's more meat and potatoes so you're not going to get any massive attack out of him but much i would much rather play lodge and any other player apart from him so he's pretty much a, i understand why some people might want to grab him but probably they're probably basing that off off the fact of his price and the fact that he, he, he can or used to play 65-minute games, but with that Dragons uh, bench, I can't see it actually happening, so I'm just not interested at all. Yeah, that's all fair points. I'm going to do a bit of devil's advocate on it, though. I actually think that the bench might only have three forwards on it, which is why I'm a little bit interested in watching what happens. There's potential that, that Graham starts up front with Paul Vaughan and then Lisa Armau is on the bench to go into that prop role and then... Sele, Luciano Leilua, and potentially Kurt Mann comes in as a utility on that bench. Now, if that happens and Luciano Leilua can't play big minutes potentially or they just don't want him to even if he's fit enough, Armao's not going to take huge minutes in the middle and Sele is going to be a back rower really. I guess the, the bench looks okay to me actually for Graham to get minutes. I think the question in my mind is, 
Frizzell and Tariq Sims can both play in the middle. And I think Tariq in particular will probably rotate into the middle. And that so it might be a bit of a sneaky, a bit of a sneaky rotation where if the bench looks like it's got a utility, I could see it being okay for Graham. But then I could also be in see it being a bit sneaky and McGregor pushing some of those edge back rowers into the middle and then stuffing it all up. So uh, I just couldn't work out how it was going to roll with that rotation and that's why I ended up leaving him out. But I can see the potential. Um, I will just say with these total games, Billy, particularly for those guys that are more rookie coaches and stuff that might listen, you might look at his games and go, he didn't actually miss that many. Last couple of years, he played 20 games in 2017 and 24 in 2016 which is decent, but like Billy mentioned, the problem is that out of those 20 and 24 games, there was a lot of games where he's actually hurt, only played a half game or reduced minutes, and that really kills you on a week-to-week super coach basis. So, yep, I think we'll move on, Billy. Agree. All right, well, another guy in the pack that I am a lot more keener on but is a lot more expensive, so he's harder to fit, is my man Jack DeBellin. So DeBellin uh, I had last year. And he was really nice when I had him. Um, and he was starting to hit some attack, which was really good to see. He um, increased his offloads a bit too last season, which I liked. And he was also a guy, though, the only problem with him was that I remember so many games where I felt like he was the opposite to Cam Smith, where he would just get ripped off left, right and centre. And there's so many times I remember seeing him like make a line break and then get called back for a penalty back at the the ruck or something, and he'll lose it. And then other times where I will look at the Fox, uh, look at my NRL app stats, and he'll make fifty tackles, and then see him on Supercoach credited with thirty eight and stuff. There were so many different times when um, he would just drop in points rather than go up in points like Smith. But he's five hundred ninety thousand, so he had he's coming off a great year last year and. To put in perspective why I considered him, because I know that you haven't got him in your side, Billy. I actually had him in my side until last night. And the reason was I've taken a punt on a heap of guys in my second row forward spots who I think are either undervalued or going to score well above where they're priced at for the start of the season. Um, Certainly guys like Trent Merrin, I think, is in that boat at being underpriced. Um, Papali's a guy who I think can outperform where he's priced at the start of the year and hit some attack. So I sort of saw DeBellin as a guy who he's not undervalued, but he's not gonna he's not gonna give me less than what I'm paying for. And if I can pay for a solid, you know, sixty-five to seventy points a week, I kind of thought that I'll take it sort of to cement my Ford pack and to give me those guaranteed points each week. So that's kind of why I saw the value in him. He does sort of start well. Do you want to talk me out of Jack DeBellin, Billy? Because I really need that money elsewhere in my team. So I probably need you to. No, I'm not talking about him. He's not in my team, but um, I started with him last year, and as well as Vaughan, I really enjoyed him. But this year, he's um, yeah, he's priced at his average. He doesn't really seem to have any massive tons. He's going to give you um, your consistency around sort of 65. So if you wanted to pretty much guarantee a 65 and take a punt that, A, his minutes might fluctuate or get a little bit higher because maybe Graham has a concussion or a couple of injuries and he's forced to stay on a bit longer. Then yeah, I can see the upside there with him, but I think he's just priced at his average and he's a decent staple. So the fact that he's not undervalued, I'm leaving him out. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, talking a bit about strategy though, you know, with your teams, I know you're very big on uh, buying heaps of guys that are undervalued, so you can make the cash or get guys that are, I guess, good value for each point that they're bringing in. Do you do you consider 
like balancing that out with a few guys that you know that you can rely on that are definitely going to give you 65 points a week or whatever like are you happy to pay the money for some guys to balance out your team yeah i am but the the guys that i'm paying for are guys around the average that have a bit more potential upside maybe a bit more risk i just like that risk factor so i would rather go with a guy like murray as opposed to jdb and then offset that with you know um Quickton Brown is another guy that's probably like GDP price priced around the same. Maybe what's the price of Brown compared to, to JDB? Five. Yeah, I, I'd much rather go with Brown as opposed to JDB, but they're they're, they're the same type of playmaker, same type of mold. I would um, yeah, you could go with both of those, but maybe maybe, maybe one and a, and a guy that has a bit more ability. So let's move on to one of the new guys, Ben Hunt who's come in from the Broncos um, on a massive deal, which I didn't mind. Halves are at a premium, and um, I think he'll actually do pretty well there. But Hunt is one of those guys who I initially was waiting and waiting for the Supercoach season to start because I was going to have him as my starting hooker, and I thought it was going to be great just to have that attack from the hooker spot. And I couldn't wait because, uh, I mean, he did play like half the season. It felt like in hooker last year, even if it was in different jersey numbers and stuff, he was there a lot. But then Supercoach obviously took away the dual position off him and he's halfback only, which to me was very strange. And I think that the answer was that um, he's penciled in to play halfback this year and he only uh, filled in at hooker through necessity because of injuries. I dare say that 80% of the dual position players only filled in because of necessity and injuries. Mitchell Orbison being a number one candidate for that every year. When he does play his six or seven centre games, it's because somebody's injured or suspended. So don't get it. Um, that killed Hunt for me because he's halfback only. He's uh, 513,000. Jonathan Thurston's 25 grand more than him. And then you've got other guys as well that are around the same sort of talent level, like even a Moylan, although you've also got Cleary that's going to be a bit more, but going to give you a hell of a lot more in points. So running through the stats real quickly, Billy, he's... Got 58 points a game in 2017, 56 in 2016. It was the two years before where he actually went really well. Um, so 2015, he had 64 points a game and 2014, 71 points a game. I could actually see him getting... I, I think that he'll definitely be back in the 60s without question. And I wouldn't mind backing him for a 64-point average again. Um, but he is priced at 58 already, so he's not cheap and... I think that the only time he was going to be massively relevant was going to be if you could put him in hooker. That was intriguing, but halfback only. I just can't consider him myself. Yeah, I'm not going near him. If I was going to go near anyone at that price range, I'd go near JT. And after our discussion the other day, it absolutely pains me, but I've kind of dropped Cleary and put JT back in. <laughs> so there's no way. There's, there's no way Hunt's getting a mention. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, sorry, the only thing I would say there, I was going to say this for uh, when we talk about um, Widdop, but you mentioned in that run that um, from round four, they start playing at home, for, uh, I think four out of five games, yeah, um, or three out of, and the one away game they had was versus the Warriors, who aren't exactly the greatest defensive team in the world, too. So if you wanted to take a, a punt on the pod, or if one of your gun halves gets injured around that time, that would be the only time I would consider Hunt. Maybe get him for the some George home game runs, or with it then I just read the the Super Torch Super Talk guys halves article uh, yesterday, and I didn't realise this, but um, 
we'd average 80, I think it was, playing games at, at their home ground or at, at Cogra. So from that round for those Dragon Halves might be worth, worth a punt, but until then, no, I'd stay away from them. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, and you mentioned Widdop, which um, we may as well talk about at the same time. Um, I had Widdop last year and he was really good, but he um, he is a reason why I think that Hunt, you need to stay away for round one as well because I don't really know. Widdop was definitely the dominant ball handler in the, the alpha half last year. Well, he had to be. that. He had bloody Josh McCrone there some of the time. So, um, yeah, I don't really know how they're going to balance that out. Sometimes it can go either way. Sometimes in footy. They complement each other really well because the D has to concentrate on two guys that are dominant alpha halves and they get a bit more room to move sometimes and they can work pretty seamlessly together and even get some extra opportunity. Other times they take away from each other and particularly when they haven't played with each other before, the first few rounds especially can be a fair few growing pains. So I wasn't too sure how that dynamic would actually work between the two of them. I guess the good thing is that the number nine and number one aren't going to be dominant ball handlers either, so there might be enough room for both of them to excel. But your point, Billy, I reckon is great. And I didn't think about it too much, but I actually am now that you mentioned it. And I would dare say round three, they play the Gold Coast Titans away, and then they've got three home games in a row and then the Warriors away. So that's not that's not a bad run at all. That's actually quite good. If it's round three where they've got the Titans, you you could be worse than starting with Widdop. You might might struggle a little bit in the first couple of games, maybe, but there's no reason why. Is, is it the Broncos they play first up? Yeah, Broncos and then Sharks, and then they hit that Titans and then three home games. Yeah, it's a bit of a tough start, but if you wanted to take the punt, it's def- definitely a left field option with it. May I reckon he might actually be one of those guys that you just sit back and wait for an injury first couple of rounds, or what you could even do is... Just get instead of um, instead of buying Croker or Watson, just get him in your team. See how he goes the first couple of rounds. If he smashes it, great. If he doesn't and he's priced at his average and you're not going to lose anything, then keep him for the rest of those games. Then look at maybe one of your other halves like um, JT or Milford or or um, uh, like your turbo fullback. And then if one of those guys gets injured or doesn't perform, then drop the worst performing player to Croker before they actually make coin and then take the points out of, the, out of your best uh, couple of um, halves of fullback. Yeah, it's not a bad option. And um, playing the playing the market averages to start off with can work out really well. I guess for me, I'd probably take the punt on Hunt before Widdop. And that's purely because Widdop... Averaged 73 points last year, so he's almost 650,000 to start with. So that's a massive amount yeah. of coin. Yeah, but he's not going to be much cheaper if you want to get him. He's going to be, a, be the same price around three, though, because he's not going to drop. So if you wanted to get him, you're going to, you're going to buy him with a high B and take the loss, or you're just not going to get him at all. So no, well, I'm just saying, just start with Hunt instead. If you think that the Dragons are going to go on a good run and you can save, you know, 140,000. Between choosing between Hunt and Widdop, I actually, I actually would go Hunt only because of that extra hundred forty thousand. And with either of these guys, anyway, we probably both agree on this. If anyone's going going to do this, it's definitely a left field big balls pod move. But it has to be your reserve half or your reserve five eight that you're putting them into. I don't think you can. I don't think you can put them into your number one half or number one five eight spot purely because of those other options that. I think you need to have in there to start with, like a, a JT, for instance. Yeah, 
I'll tell you what, it would be um, ideal time. To, like, you don't wish an injury on anyone, but that would be an absolute ideal time to have a guy like Lomax come in. Everyone would be on him, but it would be your uh, out and your fourth centre three quarter to play. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's really nice, that run. Um, and it was one of the other reasons why I did quite like um, JDB. But, yeah, look, Widdop or, um, or Hunt could be, you know, really point of difference players. So if they start off well and, and you're, they're probably only going to be owned, you know, in that 1% to 3% range, you could be off to an absolute flyer, um, particularly that Gold Coast game. But... Yeah, good luck, guys, for you two or three people that are going to start with him. I'm not going to start with Widdop, and I'm also not going to start with Hunt because I just can't do it. Going back on your discussion around JDB, that draw that you just talked about kind of opens it up for him a bit more. I'm a bit, I'm a little bit more keener on him now. That there's a, a bit more attacking opportunity there for him. But um, yeah, well, they were yeah, using him. They were using him a lot more. Up. They were using him a lot more in the attack as well, which I really liked last year. And he tended to be offloading when they were attacking quite well. He tend to be offloading quite a bit as well. So I actually think he's one of those forwards where it might actually help him being in a nice attacking game because he's got the good combo of work rate and a little bit of attack starting to sprinkle in. Yeah, true. So let's move on to uh, your other man crush, Billy, that you absolutely hit on last year. So Billy did a fantastic article on Paul Bourne um, before last season and was all over him. And he was spot on the money and he started with him and he reaped all the rewards from it. So Paul Warren had easily his best season ever. Let me start from 2014 and work up. 2014, 53 points. 2015, 52 points. 2016, 51 points. 2017, 68 points per game. And his minutes didn't actually go up that much. So in 2014, he played 47 minutes, which was his equal career high to 2017 at 47 minutes. And in between there, he only played 40 and 42. So the guy doesn't need many minutes at all to um, to be effective. He did hit quite a few tries last year. But 65% of uh, Paul Vaughan's games were over 60 points, uh, which is pretty nice to have. And he was very durable as well. So talking about big balls pods, I wouldn't say he's quite a big balls one, but Geez, not many people are going to start with Paul Vaughan because he's 602,000, but you could actually do really well with him, um, particularly for that nice run of round three to seven that we spoke about, Billy. You're getting me excited again. <laughs> it doesn't take much with warning. <laughs> I'm getting moist now. Yeah, I've liked him for years, but I've always hated um, uh, Canberra coaches for not putting him in. Um, it's easy to look at points per minute and and not... and scream at the TV and not understand why uh, coaches aren't chucking him in. But, um, yeah, what, that was a hell of a, hell of a buy for the Dragons, wasn't it? Look, just point it, look, looking at his career PPM, he's one of those blokes that was always going to be a buy. The reason why a lot didn't is because they looked at his, um, they looked at Mary's minutes rotation and didn't think he was going to get more than sort of 42 to 45. I think that's the only reason why a lot of other super coaches were sort of gun shy there. I just looked at his PPM and potential output and was hoping that he was going to be the dominant guy and get the 50 and 55. So I've got to uh, confess and say, I think I was a little bit lucky with him scoring what he did off 47 minutes. I don't think he's going to repeat that. He will he will give you that same type of output, but I don't think he's going to have that many tries uh, to start the year. So could quite possibly regress a little. How much, I don't know. 
that run is kind of interesting, but um, I'd kind of be inclined to have a Whittap or a Lafay type player for that run, but, but those types of guys aren't going to drop that much by round three, which is when I want them. So JDB and Vaughan do come into calculations a bit more now, but they are, um, Vaughan especially is pretty pricey, so I think it would be a hard sell for a lot of people, but definitely if you want to pod, those two guys are kind of opening up a little bit now, I think. Yeah, for sure. And like one of the things that I, I think about when I'm building my teams too is, um, you know, again, like I know a lot of experienced coaches know this, but particularly for the the rookie coaches or the intermediate ones, guys always try and get as many dual position players between front row forward and second row forward as you can because the thing that I'm looking at with Paul Vaughan is I'm not going to start with him round one because he's way too expensive, but Almost always, between round one and three, one of the big front row forwards or second row forwards goes down with an injury. And there's between all the positions that you've got to fill in your forward pack, there's a high percentage chance that it's going to be one of your guys. And when they go down, like a Paul Gallon or something, you want to be able to move your forward pack around a little bit to accommodate either getting in a front row forward or a second row forward, depending on who the best buy is. And you're going to get stuck a lot this year, I think, if you don't have like a kick out in there to be able to move between front row and second row forward and a parsey that you can alternate between and stuff like that. So 602000 is expensive, but say someone starts with Paul Gallen and Gal does what he's done on a couple of, maybe I think two out of his last five seasons, he's gone down at the start. And you know, if he goes down round two and you can downgrade to a Paul Vaughan who's going to hit the Gold Coast Titans and then that big home draw, you know, that's that's a great run. Alternatively, you know, if you have a second row forward come go down as well. Um, there's a lot of guys in the second row forward that could be suspect. Merrin started off uh, pretty unfit last year and had niggling injuries and stuff. Someone like him could go down or, you know, those type of examples. So, yeah, I'm with you, Billy. I, I'm actually I'm going to have him penciled in as a, as a watch from round one, and he might be one of the first guys I look at to try and trade in for round three if I have a big forward go down. Mate, if... Um... If that rookie fires, you might even be trying to do that for Dufty at the same time. There's, there's plenty of dragons. It might be very interesting round three. Yeah, I really like the dragons for this year. They've got a lot of very relevant players. I guess the only other the only other thing with it that scares me a little bit, and it obviously didn't scare you that much last year because you didn't care with starting with Vaughan and stuff. McGregor really worries me because, I mean, his team was playing well last year. Um, when they started adopting an attacking style of football with a lot of offloading and stuff, and Lafayette's having these five offload games and everything. And then, you know, they had a couple of losses and he didn't seem to know what to do and he just pulled the reins back and everybody stopped attacking and it was just crazy to watch. You know, I I didn't understand it. And then the minutes end up all over the place. Like, McGregor really worries me. Actually, it's a good point. Um, I think I read an article um, with Lafayette saying he was going to pull his head in this year and not be so erratic with those offloads. So he's pretty much in the go zone with his price and that comment. Yeah, and he was the next one I was going to talk about. So why don't we have a little quick Lafayette talk? I um, I I remember trading him in because I watched a game against the Warriors um towards the start of last year, and it might have been you know round six or seven or something like that. And they absolutely carved up the Warriors over in New Zealand. And I remember because I had a multi going, and I think the Warriors were the last leg of it, and they lost by like forty and got absolutely carved up, and. Lafay just ran right. He was just running from dummy half down the blind side on the fourth tackle, making breaks, offloading three times in a set. Like, it was just crazy. And 
I just thought to myself, I've got to, I'm going to have to pay the money. And um, I probably took a couple of weeks and there was a few guys that we know, Billy, we all had a big chat about this and there was probably like a dozen of us talking about it and, and six of them went, you're crazy for paying, you know, at the time over $500,000 for Tim Laffey. He's not going to keep it up. And the other half of us, including Catfish, said, well, he's just putting up too many good points for too long now. <laughs> We're never going to get him if we don't get him now. And he just he put up a great season. But then, of course, we all put the mocker on him by buying him. And um, he fell right off and didn't have that many games. I captained him during the Tigers. And I think he gave me about 38 points. And it was just all over. But he went in, ended up averaging a 65-point per game average last season which was easily his highest. So he comes in at 575 grand. And I dare say his first half of the season, he was averaging around 75 points a game. So he's definitely got the upside. Yeah, he's the type of guy who, um, A, you definitely, definitely, definitely don't bring in after a good game because his average is always inflated by that one 130 or 150 score. So if you miss out on that, pretty much forget about it unless he starts going on a consistent run with those offloads going uh, um, a little bit higher than four or five a game. I'm just going to stay away with it, stay away from him for now. Um, it would be nice to see the style, the style of Dragons play and how, how all these guys kind of gel together. I'm more interested in watching them as a team rather than SC for this year. But there are de- the, there's about four or five or six blokes that are definitely watches. I think so. Dufty, Lomax, Lafay's offload, probably Graham for you, Vaughan, JDB, yeah, the halves. Yeah, there's plenty of guys to watch, but I don't think I'll be having any of them in my team to start with. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I agree. I want some of them in my team, but I just can't do it because of price and also fit with the other guys I've got. So, um, I mean, the thing that I liked about Lafay, just to wrap up on him, he um, he's a back who had 50% of his points over 60 over 60 last year. So half the games he played, he scored over 60 points and he played 24 games last year. That's pretty good for a centre. And again, I dare say at the halfway mark of the season, it was more like 75, 80% of his games were 60 points plus. And a lot of it wasn't draw related with Lafayette either. Like I said, he scored like 38 points or something. It was a joke against the Tigers. But it wasn't that score that much opposition related when he scored well because he didn't even score that many tries. Um, he had just all these offloads and TBs that he was getting it from. So that's it's really, really appealing when you have a centre wing that doesn't need to score tries to give you 70 points um, like a NOFO and, and guys like that. But, yeah, can't possibly start with him. And, you know, I'm getting pretty depressed talking about the Dragons because I'm looking at that draw from round three on the Gold Coast and just thinking, geez, it would be lovely to have three or four dragons in your side from round three onwards. Hey, just speaking of that draw and a super pod, um, can you have a quick look for me and tell me what McInnes' minutes was last year? Because if they're going to have four forwards on the bench and he played maybe 70 minutes a game last year and he's going to play closer to 80 this year, if he can get through those first couple of games, I'm not saying buying from the start, but if Leica and Cook don't end up playing sort of 80. And if you, Smith is a bit too expensive for you or people are concerned if Smith and Spitzer are in the same team, um, McInnes might actually be a half-decent mid-rate or three-quarter type price guy that has potential if he plays the Titans away and gets those five home games. Mm, you're not going to like the numbers, mate. I'm sorry to say. He averaged 80 minutes last year. Yeah, all right. Forget him. 
yeah, but he um he did start off very well. So I mean, he isn't a bad one to mention because he did. I think he averaged about sixty five points for the first portion of the season, and he was actually a really good yeah. buy last year. But um, yeah, I did a write up on him and then pulled pulled out the last went the dual cheap hookers instead. Yeah. Oh, look, he, he would have been a good one to start off with. It's just with him, you have to pick and choose your moments, I think, and there's just too many other hooker options for me to consider consider McInnes. Yep. So, um, no Dragons. Yeah, so Dragons looking like a good side for um, 2018, just really hard with how they're all priced and um, where they fit in position-wise, which is a real shame. But um, we'll move on and we'll have a bit of a chat about the Broncos now. So this will be our last team and then we'll wrap them all up. So the Brisbane Broncos, some big gains in Jack Bird and Matt Lodge, who's a little bit controversial. Jack Bird apparently had a bit of a training mishap the last couple of days with his ankle, so he's delayed even more. Other than that, uh, they ended up with Sam Tagatizi from the Sharks for a bit of depth, but no one else that's really going to play. Uh, losses, Jai Arrow and Adam Blair, Herman SESA to the Knights. Obviously, Hunt went to the Dragons, as we just spoke about. Benji Marshall, who actually played pretty well for them at times, went to the West Tigers. David Mead was some good depth for them and has gone over to the Super League. Uh, Moga was probably the last guy that was relevant. Who, geez, he had a good year last year. He's gone over to the Knights now as well. So they did lose a few. They probably ended up you know, close to even in the back line depth, but um, I think that they really they might hurt a little bit in the forwards depending on how Lodge goes and some of these young guys that they've got on the bench. So draw-wise, we'll probably start off with their forward pack and have a little bit of a talk about Matt Lodge because he's the most controversial one. But let's have a quick look at their draw first. So they start off with St. George Illawarra away, then they've got the Cowboys at home, and then it opens up into a phenomenal couple of weeks where they have the West Tigers and the Gold Coast Titans back-to-back. That's about as juicy as you'll get uh, for a first month, I think. Obviously, that Cowboys game could be a bit of a rough one, but round three and four, that's fantastic. The second month, they've got the Knights away, the Warriors away, uh, the Storm at home, and then Souths away. So aside from the Storm game, you know, pretty decent draw there as well. They don't play the round 13 by, but to be honest, all the way up until round 13, their draw's quite strong. They do play the Roosters once and the Cows once, but they also get to play the Tigers, Titans, Warriors, who are the three teams we've been marked as being pretty good sides to be stacking your supercoach team against. And also Souths, Dogs and Manly and Eels are in there at the back end of that draw for the first half of the season, who could be decent enough teams um, to be playing. So not a bad draw for the Bronx, but let's talk a bit about Matthew Lodge. We don't have much on him. In 2015, he averaged 32 minutes a game and scored 34 points a game. There isn't a lot of games that obviously he's played. Obviously, he's coming in with all the controversy in the world. Um, I've seen, I even saw a post today, a couple of hours before we started talking, Billy, where someone said, I'm disgusted that Matthew Lodge is in, uh, he's been allowed back in the NRL. I'm not going to put him in my super coach to side. It's been said time and time again, Billy. You know, separate your emotions in Supercoach. If you're a Roosters fan like me, doesn't mean you've got to pick 10 Roosters in your team. You pick the best players. Likewise, if you hate a player, doesn't mean that you don't put him in your Supercoach team if he's the best option. Matthew Lodge is one of the best, if not the best, cheap option for 2018. 
to have in your front row forward rotation. He's going to be a starting prop at 208,000. Can you talk some sense into everyone, Billy, that's saying, I hate him, I don't want him? Don't do it. That's fine. You can end up you can end up being about 70 or 80,000 in the competition. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be – look, he's a must-buy, and I think we'll pretty much just leave him at that. If you don't own him, you're you're crazy from round one. He's he's going to make a heap of money. He's going to be a starting prop. You have to have him in your side. No, I don't think I don't, I don't think you have to have him. Um, he's just from what people have said and on his form last year, he just seemed to be an absolutely dominant front row forward who has tackle busting, offload ability, can play can play around a little bit. He's going into a team like the Broncos, who are pretty decent, have a decent run. At that price, going to play probably 50 minutes. Um, he's in my team. I'm going to start him. I'll, I'll, I'll leave him up front with whoever else I, d- I decide to put up there with him. He's not an absolute must-have, though. You can find to play someone like a, I don't know, a, a Latu or a Pengai Jr. Uh, there's plenty of, there's plenty of other options um, around. It just probably makes it a little bit harder, that's all. I'm going to uh, disagree with you finally on this pod and say I think that he is as close to a must as what there is. Uh, only because I, I get your point with those other guys, but Tavita Pengai Jr. is $130,000 more expensive than he is, and Latu is close to $70,000 more expensive than what he is. There isn't any... You very rarely get rookie um, forwards who are starting and guaranteed to play good minutes. The Broncos are short with Adam Blair going and um, some of their forward rotation that they've got, even guys like SESA going. They have to play minutes. And to me, like looking at the sides at the moment, you don't have, we don't even know if there's guaranteed centre wing cheapies that are starting at the moment yet. There isn't anyone guaranteed. Matt Lodge is the only cheapie that's guaranteed a starting spot right now. So I don't, I don't see any way he can be left out, to be honest. But I'm happy to disagree, really, because it creates a bit of controversy. Well, I ain't leaving him out. And that's my team's the only one I care about. So all good. <laughs> well, let's talk about your, um, your developing man crush. I don't think you've been out on a date yet, but you've certainly sent a few text messages and maybe sent some flowers. To Vita Pangai Jr., what a beast. Uh, I'm not sure if I want him to start or want him to be on the bench. I'm really not sure. Because if he starts, if he's in the starting rotation, everyone will have him. If he's not in the starting rotation, uh, not everyone will have him. But then I need to decide to I buy him or and play him, or do I buy him and not play him, or do I not buy him? He <laughs> 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 just did that awkward price range. Yeah, look, if, if he's probably the Paul Bourne type category. If you if he increases to if if he sticks, end of last year he was averaging thirty five minutes a game and scoring fifty points consistently. I haven't got the computer in front of me, but I'm pretty sure if you go back and have a look, it was around sort of fifty average off games over thirty five in six or seven or eight games or something. Oh yeah, it was. Um, yeah, he looked like yeah. he could average like fifty five points easily. He his PPM last year was one point four five, and in twenty sixteen yeah. it was one point three eight. Yeah, so even even if he doesn't start um, this year, he's more than likely, or you would think he's more than likely going to get more minutes off the bench and increase his, increase his average uh, anyway. I'll, I would like to get him and in the hope that he's going to start eventually. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of praying that he does start because that way I would be able to get rid of someone like Sam Burgess um, and um, free up enough money to... Uh, make myself a little bit more consistent down the backs because I am pretty thin down there. And like you said, there's not going to be as many Chibi's names. So 
every bit of every bit of coin you can free up and every bit of pod you can play, um, as long as it's consistent, is probably good for Super Coach mate. Yeah, for sure. I've gone back and forth on um on Pangai Junior. I um I do want him, but like you said, he's at an awkward price. He's three hundred thirty eight thousand, and I mean, if he was you know three hundred k and below, it's a lot easier. But when you're getting guys that are creeping over three hundred that might be on the bench, it just it, it you just you feel funny doing it. If you have got someone that's named on the bench, you just feel a bit gun shy spending three hundred k plus to put him in. And um, like you said, like as far as not playing him and stuff. It's really hard for me if I if I've got someone over three hundred grand. It's really hard for me in round one, two, and three when you're having to play those lesser guys to find guys yeah. to put in the seventeen instead of him. Like I, I can never manage to do it. Yeah, mate. If, dead said if he's Pengo Junior, I would hate to see the size of Pengo Senior. <laughs> he's got a bit of size to him. He's um his tackle breaks and offloads and everything are just are great. He just needs those minutes. So like looking at the stats real quickly again. He averaged 26 minutes a game in 2017 for 38 points. So even, I guess even looking at like a floor, you would think that he gets 10 minutes a game more to give him the 35, 36 points. If he does that, he could be a 50-point average just off 35, 36 points. And then if you get those... Yeah, I think he'll yeah, be there anyway. Yeah, and I, I, like that's probably his floor, right? So, I mean, even at his floor, he's still going to pump out 50 points which is going to make you good cash and it's also going to be a viable, you know, 16th, 17th man for the first few rounds. The thing that with Fords that um is appealing like Fords like him is that because he only needs the low minutes, it's good because you don't need him to get that 50 minutes a game, but the upside is massive. So if somehow he snagged 45 to 50 minutes a game, then all of a sudden it's just gold and he's looking at a guy that is going to average probably in the 60s but on top of that, if he's got the, the small minutes, there's always now, with the concussion protocols, the chance for guys to go down and, and be gone for you know that concussion testing and not come back or come back but still lose some minutes. And he could pick up some minutes here and there from that. And if that happens in yeah. the first few rounds, like he's he could go through the roof in price. Yeah, I reckon he might be putting a few blokes on the concussion test too. Um, <laughs> I think what I'm kind of really interested in is guys. If you if you're able to start with guys like Pengai and Lodge and Murray, Sergis, Crichton, Cook, uh, Milford, those guys uh, pre- have pretty decent upsize and have a pretty decent draw, or and or are playing the first buy. You pretty much got the the first buy covered with um, some pretty decent blokes. Throw in guys like um, Watson and Ponga who might last until then or at least make your coin and, and play that first buyer too. It pretty much puts you in good stead going into round 12 or 13, whatever it is, ready to um, trade a few guys that have matured and to jump on jump on the Fifi train and guys that, guys that really start to produce around that 11, round 11, round 12 or guys that are start, starting to um, drop in, in value enough to sort of pick up for that round 18 run. Yeah, for sure. The the Broncos themselves don't actually play round thirteen, unfortunately. Oh, sorry, I thought you said they did. Oh, well, that screws my. <laughs> Get the editors to out. <laughs> no, it's all right. We'll leave it in. It's good advice. It's um. I mean, you mentioned the other teams there as well as the Broncos, but the thing with the Broncos is that guys like TPG, sorry, TPJ, and also a Matt Lodge, they do help you for that round thirteen because by that point, it'll be the time to potentially upgrade them and earn a hell of a lot more money as well. So yeah, good point. 
they can be really helpful for round 13. And that's that's why it is a really good point, I reckon, that you mentioned, Billy, because um, you know a lot of people that aren't looking at round 13, it's fine more so than other years not to look at it, but you want to make sure that you have enough cash guys as well that are going to give you a combination of points and also viable trade-out options where you're going to be able to make a lot of moves really quickly. And, and TP... To Vita Pengai Jr. is definitely one of them. So I'm I'm up and down. I'm 50-50. I may have him in my side. I may not. But I think that he's a real smoky to be a Paul Vaughan type for this year and, and really go up by a couple hundred grand. Yeah, it just depends where he is in the pecking order. I really think he's overtaken a lot of those other forwards and it might be it might be a, a three-way go between um, him, is it Sims, or who, who's the other big bopper off the bench? Well, their bench at the moment is probably going to be Thayday, Offa Hengawi, Tavita Pangai, yeah, and Alex Glenn. So, yeah, so it's pretty, him, 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 him and Offa. Him, him Offa, and is it Sims? Uh, well, Sims and Lodge will probably start at prop. So, yeah, your, your middle rate, your, your prop rotation is probably going to be Sims, Lodge. Josh Maguire is going to play big minutes at 13 in the middle. And then off the bench... Thayday, Joe O, and Tavita Pangua. And Thayday can obviously spell the edge as well if he needs to. So Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, to see how they line up. But yeah, I think I'll just um, watch very, very closely TLT and probably end up grabbing him, I think. Yeah, the, I mean, the the, um, the rotation's a little bit scary because um, if they don't have any utility on the bench, which it's looking like they won't, a four-forward bench is a bit scary. But guys like Joe O might not get many minutes. Sam Thayday's... In his yeah, last Friday's year. Friday's their utility. He, he wears the own jersey. Yeah, well, I don't think I don't think he's a very good one, but, you know, Wayne, Wayne probably knows better than me. I guess he's got more premierships. <laughs> Let's talk about the last guy in their pack that I want to hit on. This is a bit of a forgotten gun. Um, he used to be one of my favourite guys, and the last couple of years I've gone off him a little bit. Uh, Matt Gillett started off his career with a bang, and I used to really like his combination of work rate and attack. He used to have quite a few... Uh, offloads, line breaks, breaks and tries for a back row forward. The last, you know, more recently, the last couple of years, he turned more into a worker and defensive specialist and dropped off a little bit in the attack, which is why I've gone off him a little bit. Um, he had a little bit of a resurgence season, though, in 2017. So 2014, I loved him. He scored 66 points a game. And then he had back-to-back seasons of 57 points a game in 2015 and 2016. And it's solid, but not just not good enough compared to the competition um, in that second race forward spot. 2017, he busted back out with another 66-point-a-game average, and that's kind of a good and a bad thing. Um, it's great if he can carry that on from last season and score you those mid-60s. The bad thing is that he comes in priced at 66 average, which is $583,700. So quite expensive, but... If he maintains a bit of that attack that he had more of last year against sides like the West Tigers in round three and Gold Coast Titans in round four, and then he has the Warriors in round six, um, I mean, I think he's quite interesting. And I did actually look at him briefly to see if I could fit him in, um, and I considered him instead of a JDB. Really? Um, Yeah, I think he had his career year last year on the edge, so I'm not really interested in, in an edge unless it's... Sorry, I'll say it probably now. Crichton got smashed for saying Crichton. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's got some potential upside, but uh, not as much as I see in other edges. So 
I'd probably sort of leave him. He's, he's, he's an option if you want a smoky, but priced at a 65, I'd probably lean towards a middleweight JDB at that price who's got more potential with their run and their offload and maybe some more minutes if there's some injuries. Yeah, let's have a talk about that for a minute as far as the edge versus the middle guys go because I've had plenty of interesting conversations on that with a lot of the guys in our groups and around the traps. And, um, yeah, the general, the popular opinion seems to be you you want the, the number 13s, you don't want the number 11 and 12s because you want to avoid the edges because they get less work and the work rate, obviously, in the middle, you know, you're getting bulk tackles and probably more hit-ups as well. But I don't necessarily agree all the time on that. and. The reason I don't is this, the last last two years especially, I'm pretty sure that the stats say that the the edge back rail points have actually been going up quietly for a few years now. Um, and that's to do with some of the increased attack that's been happening on the edges. And I am, I guess, more of a boom or bust coach with a lot of these forwards. Um, I prefer to try and get a guy that's going to be able to score those tries and have those line breaks on an edge and go on a bit of a three or four week run and then maybe I can ship them out or, or reserve them or move my team around and stuff. I, I rather those guys sometimes than just having the you know the 65K, uh, 65 average, really good JDB types who um, don't necessarily have the attack potential. So I started to try and stack my back row actually with a lot of edge, edge forwards um, or guys that I think are going to be maybe hitting some attack to start the season, just purely as a kind of a different strategy to see if I could hit some of that try scoring on the edges for some of the teams with good draws. So, yeah, it, I mean, you probably disagree, Billy. You probably prefer the guys that are in the middle. Yeah, I prefer the guys in, in the middle. I, I see why you're doing it. But would you keep a guy like um, Gillette for the whole season or up until around 11 or, or peak? Uh... I, I, I could go either way, and that's sort of why I, I didn't mind him. I think it's flexible where you could either keep him for the whole season if he's doing well and he's not going to let you down or you could um, take his good run and then, you know, as soon as he's ripened before round 13, shoot him off and train him out for one of those other guys that you're going to keep for the second half. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Look, you've got to take a different strategy um, on some on some players. You've got to have pods here and there. It's boring as batshit if everyone had the same team or followed the same podcast and followed the same strategies. There's plenty of players out there to pick pods with, and he's low enough ownership to do it with. So if you wanted, if you were going to pick an, an edgy that had potential upside, he's probably one of the top three or four that you would pick. So definitely an option. Yeah, for sure. I'll put him in the same category as um, probably Cordner. Is um, he's pretty close to him in, in the guys that we've spoken about potentially having. So I think one of those. Yeah, guys. I think you're right on the money there. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on from uh, Matt Gillett. He's a, he's a decent smoky. He'll probably be, you know, that 3% range of ownership. Um, and he's always going to have a lot of tackles to give you a good base. But let's uh, start talking about the back line a little bit because the most exciting part of my team is Anthony Milford. And that's because I've had him in right from the start. I said, you know, as soon as last year's Supercoach finished, I, I wanted to probably start with a JT and Milford combo because I knew JT would be pretty cheap. I knew Milford wouldn't be cheap. I was hoping he'd be slightly cheaper than what he ended up being, but I just love the um, the runs that he can go on. Remembering that, again, I keep harping on about it, but for someone like Anthony Milford, round three Tigers, round four Gold Coast, round five Newcastle, round six New Zealand, it's just, geez, I'm salivating thinking about owning Anthony Milford for that draw. 
He averaged 70 points a game last year. The years before, he averaged 67, 65, 65. So, I mean, I he's 622,000, so he's not cheap. But he's you know cheaper than some guys. We spoke about uh, Widdop, who's what five five to seven percent more expensive than what Anthony Milford is to start with in five eight, and he's got a great draw. I'm really excited for Milford next year, Billy. Yeah, same. Um, I um I didn't have him in my team originally. Um, I had the guys that we've already spoken about, but um yeah, I heard some of you guys talking about him, and I looked at his draw and thought, bloody hell. <laughs> I'm going to fit him in. So <laughs> I mocked around and stacked Ponger and thought, Milford has a lot more upside, has a great draw. I'm going to pay the price. And he hasn't left my team since then. It's annoying, actually. I've got all, all these halves that I, I want in the team because they have such a high ceiling. But I end up, you end up having this stacked spine with no, no room for cheapies and then a whole bunch of blank spots in the center three quarter. <laughs> looks pretty good <laughs> down there, but... I just disagree, mate. I, I look at his draw and I just can't leave the bastard out. No, that's right. And I, it's it's one of those cases where he ticks a lot of boxes. He's um, He's been consistent for four years. He was great last year. He's got a really good draw and he's really good captaincy material um, for some of those games. And he does score well against the, the worst teams. He, I could legit oh. captain him for three out of four weeks. Between round three and six, he might be my captain three times. Yeah, same. Um, I wouldn't say... Um, consist, consistent over the season, yes. Oh yeah, um, I, it wasn't. But last last year he was, but the previous year before that, I couldn't touch him with a ten foot pole. Towards the end, because he just seemed to have a pretty ordinary attack when he was away from home. But every single time he played at Suncorp, he just absolutely turn up. Um, I don't know what it was. Maybe maybe it was just coincidence. But he just seemed to be that had that a lot higher ceiling and a lot and a lot lower floor with the home and away. So kind of stayed away from from him, but then looked at his um, scores from last year after you guys mentioned it, and on that uh, NRL Supercoach stats uh, site, you know how they've got the uh, red, green, and uh, amber uh, type colouring in there. Yep, there was just a, uh, a hell of a lot of dark green, and that's when I thought, uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, see you, Ponga. See you later. Please don't score too high. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean it. I, I see him as probably my my keeper at five eight for the whole year. I don't think that I'll probably trade him out. Now, I mentioned that JDB gets dudded a lot, so the the anti unicorn Milford's starting to make a little bit of a case to be a bit unicornish. Um, he had a few games, a number of games last year where he got upgraded like two or three times in a row, and it was great. Like there was, I remember at least three games where he was about thirty nine or forty five points, and he ended up at sixty something. And it was just fantastic. Yeah. And he seems just, he's like a stat magnet. He just, he gets it. It just, it comes to him. And even if he doesn't get it initially, he just seems to get it on the rescoring. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to leave him in there, mate. Yeah. Milford's a great buy for 5-8 to start round one. He's in it, both of our teams. And I'm not even worried about having him there. So aside from that, Billy, having a look at the Broncos, probably a couple of quick left field ones, and then we'll be done on those guys. Um, Probably the only rookie that was looking at like he was going to get a run was uh, Isako. And um, he's apparently not going to. It seems 50-50 at the moment. Corey Oates' experiment in the forward seems to be over. So he's probably back on the wing. And that kills any cheapy yeah. possibility. Yeah, it would have been nice to have a cheapy on the left for uh, Milford. 
Yeah, so it's not going to happen. If he's going to go on, a, yeah, if he was going to go on a tear, you might as well have the guy playing outside him against um, those uh, lower ranked squads, but not to be. So, yeah, I mean, it still might happen. We still might get lucky with it, but if it does, it would be ideal because they've got that run that that is going to be really good for a, a cheap winger to score a couple of doubles in there and make some quick cash. So. Everyone cross their fingers that we get one in there. But other than that, the couple of left field guys in the back line I was going to finish up on was going to be James Roberts and Nick Arima. Um, both left field, maybe not quite big balls pods, but you know, pretty close to it. Roberts, a lot of guys were all over Roberts during last year, a lot of smart coaches. And, you know, it was a bit I don't know the verdict on that, whether anyone won on that. It was um he did have a better year than what he's ever had before, averaging sixty a game for the first time. But then he did have some games there after he had some massive ones where he'd scored 27 points and 21 points and stuff that are that are in there. Um, so, yeah, he uh, comes in at 533,000. I guess the thing is he's left field because he's not going to be owned by too many, but he also is sort of a bit of a dark horse because that draw looks kind of all right for James Roberts. Yeah, it does. The, the only thing that I, I don't like about him is the... Um... Because he's so bloody quick, he, uh, more often than not, it's like a little early kick down field for me, and they, he out sprints, defense laps it up and scores. So you generally miss out on a line break and a tackle bust or, or a hit up or something there. So I'd, yeah, like he's got a lot of upside if he's playing a lot of low ranked teams, but yeah, he's a bit more hit, a bit more hit and miss for me. I just don't like having him in, in my team. He's probably the type of it if you can pick up. Cheap enough, he's worth playing here and there, but I just wouldn't want to pick him up consistently. Definitely an option, but if you're going to go that sort of price range and want a Bronco on that side of the field, I'd be more inclined to have a look at Nico. Um, I think he sort of averages low, low to mid 60s in, in his 80 minute games at seven. Yeah, I agree with you there. I don't. I just don't like James Roberts for that's all. He's really. It's really nice when you've got that um 100 point game, but then when he scores you 21 the next week, it's sort of. It doesn't feel too good all of a sudden. Um, so, but Nick Arima is an interesting character. He's got, he comes in with a forty-nine average, but that's only you know, off sixty-eight minutes a game. And he did seem to grow as the season progressed, and he did get um, more minutes starting in the halves. He's a halfback only, so he's going to have to. I dare say he's going to have to be a reserve halfback for you because I don't think that you can, you know, bypass a Cleary or JT or one of those, you know, number one halfback guys. But if you're looking at spending in your halves, he's only priced at 435000 And like you said, he does average 60s um, when he was playing 80-minute games. So, yeah, you could you yeah. could probably do worse as a smokey. Oh, yeah, 100%. I know a couple of people um, who have a different strategy than most. Some year it works out, some year it doesn't. Made of mind, Jamie, he, he loves stacking the backs. And what he does is he really sacrifices his his forwards who are generally sort of mean potatoes, 60 scores and he'll either uh, stack the backs and the halves or just halves and the backs and the fullbacks. So what he's doing this year is um, stacking the, the center three quarters and the backs as well as the, um, the, the second row and going light in the halves and the, and the forwards. And he, he loves a, a strategy. I'm not going to tell you who he's doing, but he, he, he'll have a combination. I would think of something like a, a Nico Moses Watson, Ponga type uh, guys in, in those key positions in order to have like yeah, 
your Nofos and your Apanas and your Cryptons and your Cam Smiths. Um, so you can do – it's a, a big spine strategy with more upsides in the halves. And um, yeah, take take those gun take those cheap backs out of the equation and, and have that highly volatile um, type attacking team. Yeah, and I don't mind that that strategy at times as well. I think it depends on the year though and who you can fit into where. Um, this year to me is shaped more like I've got a bit more balance in my team because I think yeah. that it's yeah. That, that strategy is highly volatile, just to give you a bit of a background. So that type of strategy, I think, Jamie's the last sort of four years has finished 50th, 7,000, 50th, 7,000. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's um, definitely um, big balls, pods all over the place, but it, it can pay off. It cannot. I mean, if you get – I think the flaw in that strategy is if you get one or two injuries in key positions, you're pretty much screwed because you have to start a, tick, a kick-out type bloke. But – if you're lucky enough to get dual positions and move maneuver centre three quarters around with forwards and forwards just with um, the second rollers to cover a, an injury or two, then having um, going going light in the halves with Nico type like is absolutely a strategy. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's just a little bit too rich for my blood. I mean, it's sort of like for me, the, you know, putting your house on a ten to one horse, and when it comes in and you can buy a second house, it's fantastic. But when it doesn't come in that next year and you're homeless and you're living on the streets, it's uh, not too fantastic. So, Speaking of which, I better go check how my quaddie's going. <laughs> well, I'll let you do that, mate. So thanks a lot, Billy, for um, coming back on and finishing up the um, round of team previews. It's been fun. Yeah, it certainly has, mate. I hope we haven't bored too many people with uh, the same type of podcast as everyone else. hope there was a few interesting stats in there, but good luck, everyone. No, mate, you kept it interesting with your uh, Crichton calls. It's all right. (laughs) All right. Cheers, Billy. I'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in. We're on SoundCloud. As I said before, you can uh, follow me, Barnsley, on SoundCloud and get us there. The uh, iTunes stuff, I promise, will be coming real soon. We've got a potential pod that will go up for the Team List Tuesday with me and special guest Perso coming on. Uh, we'll hopefully be able to do that, and if we do, it'll probably be up on Wednesday evening, so you guys can have a quick listen on Wednesday night or probably more like Thursday morning afternoon before the games, and uh, we'll stay tuned for that one. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and once again, we'll go out with a bit of Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam.